Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Look, I'm going to level with you. I have my own things to deal with. After all, we are about to have a lovely landing. The Orphans, an original cinematic audio drama, is now available. And now, The Orphans Facility, an exciting new prequel series. Catch up with Season 1 with new episodes of Facility coming bi-weekly. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Josh. And this episode is a Nerdy Show microsode. That's where we talk about what you want us to talk about. And in this case, Dr. Gamer Scientist has asked us to talk about independent sci-fi fantasy publishing. He said, with the rise of ebooks, particularly through Amazon's Kindle, a lot of authors have started taking matters into their own hands and getting their books published. Who has the best luck doing this? How does one go about doing it? And what are the pros and cons of this approach? Is it right for everyone? It's a good question, Josh. It is a good question. I mean, I think, is it right for everyone? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> we could say that right up front. I think that's, I think that's probably clear. So Josh and I, we're, we're, we're writers, we write things, but we don't write prose novels exactly, or we haven't yet. But Josh, you you've have actually a storied history on Nerdy Show of doing writing. For a while, you were publishing the Bad Storytellers podcast. Yeah, Bad Storytellers is a podcast about a group of friends that decided they needed a writing group who ended up reviewing listener work to try to provide feedback and also talk about when it's time to get published, what avenue do you go to and that kind of thing. We haven't gotten that far on the publishing front because we've been self-publishing all the documents on the website under the episode description that we've turned in ourselves. A very public writing group, a very exactly. interactive very public. So, uh, podcast. You can see exactly how bad we are, which I think is very useful for us. We actually would like to know a lot about how to get into publishing <laughs> so <laughs> whether this... whether we do whether we're going to do it ourselves or through you know a third party independent small publisher or try to go the traditional route clear i haven't done it i haven't done it either yeah that's 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 highly problematic for us having this dialogue no i i, I would say like as somebody who hasn't done it i don't actually know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. <laughs> so 
I only have experience from a reader perspective. Yeah, and if we were talking about comic books, this would be a, a different discourse because myself and other people who've been in the, in the nerdy show spheres have published all kinds of different comic books. We know all about that, but that is a different scene. I'll give a shout out real quick to Travis, who does the Liberty podcast. He put out a Liberty comic book and also recently put out a Liberty tabletop role-playing game book, which we'll link to on this episode's page. But all that aside, I know how to get a comic book published. I know how to have a publisher look at your indie comic book after you've independently published it. I know all about all those steps. But that's not prose. So we brought in someone who knows a little bit of something about independent sci-fi fantasy publishing, and that is Allie Grauer. Hi, Allie. Hi, Cap. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's our pleasure. Boy, we've got a lot to talk about, but first off, let's introduce you. People may know you because you're a part of the One Shot Podcast Network. You have a game called Warda, which is also a show called Warda, which we'll talk about momentarily. But also you have a podcast called Get Hype with Mel Fox from One Shot, which is, well, it's a podcast about people getting hype. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is what it says on the box. Mel and I love getting really amped about something and then yelling at the other one about how cool this thing is that they haven't experienced yet. I can relate. Whether it's food a book, some clothes we just bought, literally anything. That's just part of Mel and my's relationship. And when I moved away from Chicago, Mel and I wanted to find a way to stay connected and continue to see each other on a regular basis. And we thought, why don't we start a podcast? We've got all this equipment lying around. We might as well do it, right? Mm -hmm. So we called the podcast Get Hype. We've got a couple episodes out now already. I think we the release schedule is usually like every other week. And we literally just invite people onto the show who we think are interesting or who have volunteered to talk about something. And then they reveal to us the thing that they're hype about. And we usually have no idea what it's going to be. And then they have 15, 20 minutes to tell us about this thing. And then we get to ask them questions about it. We have a dialogue. Is that your, the version of that show right now? Is that you're telling us how cool? Yes. So this is, this is. is Get Hype, a podcast <laughs> within a podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've had people hype us about everything from musical theater to hot chocolate to... Okay. Yeah. Knuckles the Echidna. This all seems kind of like low-hanging fruit. What was hard to get hyped about? What was hard to get hyped about? Like nothing so far. <laughs> because honestly, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it where someone is telling you about this thing that they really love or that is their passion in life. And they're mm. like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I got to tell you about this thing. This anime I just watched is so good. You have to watch it now. And they light up. I don't know. They get like really loose and free and like happy. And we really, really like seeing other people do that. And then it, they infect us with it. And then we infect the listeners with it. Right on. Well, and then also you are a published indie author. I am. Yeah. You ask almost any writer and most of them will say, I've been writing since I was little. But I, you know, wrote stories as a kid, drew pictures for them, had them stapled together and called it publish, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But I always knew the one thing I know about myself from time immemorial. I know for a fact that I always wanted to write stories and to publish them and to share them with other people. In college, I was like, I should learn how to do short stories. They seem short hard. subject is hard, yeah. It's hard. You got to rein yourself in, got to know where it's going. And there's like a finesse to a good short story. If you can't find it for the story you're trying to tell, then it probably should be something else. Well, there's also, right. there's expectations within the Western reading audience, the way that we, and by we, I mean, just mean sort of the general Western mindset that what we expect from the rise and, and ebb and flow of, of a story, you have to have that three-act structure or most people turn their brains off, especially publishers. Yeah, that's very true. After college, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop everything. I'm going to read a lot of short stories and then I'm going to start writing them and figure out what my short stories are going to be like. 
So I sat down and I read a lot of anthologies and I started drafting some short stories and was like not thrilled with them, but like worked on it, picked up some writer magazines and was like, all right, I'm just going to read about how people do this. My childhood goal was to be published before the age that Mary Shelley was when she wrote Frankenstein. And that didn't happen. <laughs> um, I did finish my first novel draft before I was Mary Shelley's age when she published Frankenstein. Though being finished with anything, that seems to be for those who label themselves as a writer, they never get that far. It's a big thing. And so I kind of submerged myself. This was also the early days of Twitter. Facebook was already a big thing. Social media was changing and morphing before our very eyes. I got on Twitter and didn't really get it, but I found that through following authors that I really liked, that there was a thriving writing community online and that they were like throwing free advice away all the time in their tweets and like sending links to magazines and books and agents. And I was like, whoa, this is really cool. All these people are out here and they want to talk. And so I just kind of like followed people for a long time and read what they were putting out, knowing that I really wanted to go back and write more novels. What I ended up doing is through Twitter, I met T. Morris and Philippa Ballantyne, who are married, and they are both notable fantasy authors in their own right. But together, T and Pip wrote a series of books called The Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. It's like steampunk X-Files with like a dash of Indiana Jones, which is super fun. Sure. So I met them through Twitter and like someone's book blog had promoted the first book. So I went and picked it up and loved it and then got to chatting with them online. One of the cool things that T and Pip did or have been doing since then was they invite other authors that they know or that they like and respect or whose work they, they really like or whatever to contribute a short story to an, a digital and podcast anthology. So between books one and two, there's an anthology called Tales from the Archives, volume one, and so on. They would like reach out to people and be like, hey, you want to write a short story in the ministry universe? And people would be like, yeah, cool. Let's play in the sandbox. And they'd go and they'd write a short story and Teen Pip would like edit it and then they'd publish it as like an ebook. But then they'd also have the author record it as like an audiobook and they'd put it up on their podcast. And I had never heard of anything like this before. Um, well, that is a pretty unusual circumstance, though, that that whole setup they have. That's quite interesting. Yeah, because they had built this neat world to play in. And it was also a good way for them to reach out to other authors and then bring them into the sandbox and have them play in it and have out those authors go, hey, I wrote this short story for Tales from the Archives. It's the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences books. Have you read those? They're really great. And then their audience grows. And it was also cool because like, I didn't know anything about podcasting at that point. T is actually one of the authors of podcasting for dummies he hmm. was on that cutting edge of podcasting and podcasting fiction this was just like a really good idea and i had been chatting with them and reading their books and like out of nowhere i got an email from t that said we were wondering if you want to write a story for tales from the archives volume four and i was like but you haven't read anything of mine and he's like so and i was like okay i mean yeah i'd love to i've never published anything and he was like well, this will be your first publication then. Awesome. And I was yeah. like, <laughs> and to me, first of all, that says a lot about the potential nature of Twitter as an access point for people who may not get where they're trying to go. I was like, well, this is going to be a couple years of me writing terrible short stories and then a couple years of me writing more terrible novels and then querying and trying to get a literary agent and then getting published maybe when I'm 50. And instead... I just dropped myself into the pool and listened to everyone that was talking. And then T came to me and was like, yeah, you want to write a story? We'll pay you. We'll publish it for you. And we'll have you record it for the podcast. And it'll be great. So I did. 
I wrote a short story called A Trick of Strong Imagination about one of the agents of the ministry who is not an agent. She's a secretary and she wants to be an agent. She is tracking details in a newspaper about a case that's been going on and no one's got the the jump on what's really going on with this case. And she sees a pattern. So she takes matters into her own hands and she goes to this circus where she's pretty sure the person who's behind all of this is lurking and she figures it out kind of on her own and puts herself in danger obviously but takes that leap of faith for herself these short stories are available on amazon for 99 cents we'll link to them on this episode's page you mentioned earlier that you had a challenge in getting to the mindset that would allow you to do a short story so then here you are jumping into that full tilt what sort of challenges were you facing when you were like okay so now i've got this opportunity where am i going with this did you find you had a wall with the storytelling or were you like no you know what i've got an idea it's short i can just execute it i knew the kind of person I wanted the story to be about. I knew that I I wanted her to work with the ministry, but to not be a full agent. Let's be real. I was sitting there looking at myself going, I'm not qualified for this, but I want to do this very badly. So I'm going to do it anyway. She was kind of me in that aspect. (laughs) Right on, yeah. I knew that I wanted to do something a little wacky, a little more on the steampunky side than on the action adventure side. So I like kind of like morphed the story together and then like T really helped me figure out how it was going to fit together. But the big challenge for this was writing something in an existing sandbox took precedence over how do I short story? Does that right. make sense? Well, hey, that that's a great way to kind of get over. Yeah. yeah. I got really lucky, but I still have a lot of work to do because I knew I wasn't ready for another novel. Like I was kind of tinkering with some ideas, but I wasn't really sold on any of them. And I started looking around, picking up more Twitters and following other people. And I started following a bunch of magazines and like online publications. I started looking at anthology contests as a way to train. I would look it up in like the Writer's Journal magazine because they have contests listed in the back all the time. Trying to find anything that would have a prompt because anthologies often have prompts. Mm -hmm. And it's like... This is an anthology about mermaids versus wizard people (laughs) who have doulas at their birth. Go. And you're like, okay, (laughs) I'm going to write that story. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to write it. So it gave me a chance to take someone's prompt and then try to address it in whatever way my gut said was the best idea first and just like write something and then submit them. I was thinking maybe I'll run into something and they'll be like, this was good. It's not good enough for the anthology, but you should edit it and send it to somewhere else. Or maybe it would be good enough. And they would be like, yeah, we're going to publish this in our anthology. Here's $500. And so I was using it as like a way to like marathon train myself. As you're doing this, how much feedback did you get from people who happened upon your stories? Zero. What I ended up doing is like send things to friends who were also writers. I think occasionally I would send something to T and be like, hey, T, Pip, can you guys read this story for me? If you don't have a writer's group or if you don't have a school that you're a part of or whatever, you have to build your party, right? You have to find people who are willing to read your stuff and encourage you, but also to be real with you. Because often writers don't think about it. They just send it to someone and they're like, can you read my short story? And then you write back and you're like, I really liked it. Thank you so much for sending it to me. And they're like, but why did you like it? But as far as like the anthologies that I was submitting to or the contests I was submitting to, I got nothing back from any of them. Occasionally I would get a forum email that was like, thank you for your submission. We didn't pick it this time. But a lot of them, too, that I was submitting to were not like hard copy magazines. They were just like websites of people who wanted to publish something online. I was training myself mentally, but I was sort of like in the dark. You know, I wasn't really sure which road I was on and why. But I happened upon an anthology contest 
for what appeared on a cursory Google glance to be an actual publishing company. And they did quarterly anthology contests, each with a different theme. And you could submit a short story anywhere from like 2,000 words to like 10,000 words. And they were like, if you if your story is selected, you'll be paid for your work. There's like a contract and everything. And we'll publish it in a real paperback book that you can order on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And, and I was like, I'm going to submit to this. The theme for the anthology that I submitted to was to take like a literary classic and to steampunk it. And that's pretty broad, but I knew almost right away what I wanted to do. I mentioned Mary Shelley before as being an icon for me. And anyone who's read Frankenstein knows that it has lots of things which draw questions upon questions upon questions. Victor Frankenstein's betrothed is also his adopted sister, and her name is Elizabeth Lavenza. And in it... In Frankenstein, spoilers. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't well, know. Some I mean, that, that's fair because like, if you haven't read the book, you won't know about a lot of the, a lot of weird shit in there that's not in the other versions. Also, read yeah. the book. It's, yeah, it's yeah. honestly, there has never been a film version that really gets what the book is throwing down. God, the closest is that Robert De Niro version. It's, Gosh. The first act of that movie is like the first half of the book in like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of incredible how fast they move. Yeah. There's uh, a random question, side yeah. question, sidetrack. Have you guys ever seen the film Gothic? No. This is a, a late 80s movie done by, I want to say the guy who directed Tommy. And it's about Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and Lord Byron. At that party in the villa in the mountains. Yeah, and it's oh about gosh. them all like collectively hallucinating and having a terrible time. And it, it's this really psychedelic gothic horror hmm. um, film with a score by Thomas Dolby that was originally the score for Howard the Duck, but it was rejected because it was too weird. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, Does that's it, so many specifics right there. Do they do the whole eyeball nipple thing they from do. that story? Okay, good. So yeah, I, I recommend going down that hole someday. Awesome. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> that's my sunday taken care of for the anthology i wrote a story about elizabeth lavenza from frankenstein in frankenstein again spoilers his creature murders elizabeth brutally in their wedding bed i wanted to steampunk it a little bit so i told the story from elizabeth's perspective instead of from victor's she gets very sick as a young girl her mother does something to her that will save her life and elizabeth doesn't know what it was when Frankenstein's monster comes and kills her, she does not die. Her neck is broken from being choked, but she's still awake and conscious and not in any pain. And she's like, what the hell? I should be dead. She discovers her mother's old notes and her mother's old notebooks and letters and discovers that her mother was a brilliant scientist and that Elizabeth is basically a cyborg. So I wrote this story and submitted it to this anthology, which was going to be called Mechanized Masterpieces. And I got in. They wrote me and they were like, this is great. We want to publish this. They sent me a contract and I had someone who I knew at the time who was in editing and publishing as a professional. I had them read the contract and say, yeah, this looks pretty good. Like it was all very professional stuff. And I was like nodding my head like I understood and I didn't. Um, so a couple months went by. We, w we went back and forth with the editors on a couple of things in my story. They apparently liked working with me and the anthology came out in April of that year. They immediately, like two weeks after it got published and I was like still high on the fact that my short story is in a book that people could literally go buy and hold in their hands. They sent me an email and they were like, hey, we really liked working with you. We really enjoyed your story. We like your style. Do you have any novels? And I was like, I mean, yeah, but they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> like why? 
And they were like, well, we also publish novels. If you have anything lying around, we'd love to work with you on publishing a novel. And I was like, that's not how publishing works. And they were like, it is how publishing works in this case. You should send us a pitch for it and we'll talk about it. And so I kind of like ran around with the chicken with my head cut off for a while because I was like, everyone says you have to like go to school for it and get a master's in it. And then you have to query agents and get a literary agent so and then many queries. so many rejections and then they're gonna fight for you to get published by like harper collins or simon and schuster or whatever and then you're gonna get bought up by a big house and then maybe skim the bottom of the new york times bestseller list once in your entire career and like now you're an author people don't get published through twitter people don't get published by that publisher emailing them and going hey you were really great to work with do you have anything bigger we could publish it's not like a regular job. It's yeah. got to be completely different. It's totally different. And so I was just kind of in shock. That whole pattern you, you talked about with agents, if anyone who's listening is not familiar with the process of you know getting yeah. published, like having an agent and having someone fighting for you and this weird sort of series of battles that you must face in order to get into the extremely limited marketplace of books from ma major publishers, mm -hmm. that's a real thing and it's very restrictive and that's why only a handful of people ever get published and it's not necessarily fair and it doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're you're not good or yeah. that you are good. And so I kind of sat there and was like, do I have any novels lying around? And I kind of looked through my folders and was like, no, no, no. At this point in my life, I was pretty active in the NaNoWriMo community, National Novel Writing Month. I was going to ask, like, what? National Novel Writing mm. Month. Every November, a bunch of weirdos across the country and internationally now, too, just commit to writing a 50,000 word draft of a novel from scratch in 30 days. And if you've never written anything or finished anything, that's very, very daunting. And for many people who do NaNoWriMo, they're not writers. They don't consider themselves writers. They're just like, hey, I wonder if I could do this. But for many people who are writers and are involved, it's a great way to train, kind of like what I was talking about before with the anthology contests. They got a lot of really good tips on their site, too, about like, oh, hey, yeah. do, two, do 2,000 words a day. Mm -hmm. like, you know. It's a very active community year round, but like specifically during the month of November, I've never experienced hype on that level for almost anything before in my life. And NaNoWriMo is not for everybody. There's a lot of published, successful, well-off authors that do not recommend NaNoWriMo and have very specific blog posts about it basically saying, NaNoWriMo does not make you a writer. NaNoWriMo does not make you an author. Your book is not done at the end of that month. Do not tell yourself that it's done and perfect and can be published that day because it cannot. And, you know, it sets unrealistic expectations and blah, blah, blah. And it also, like, since the goal is to meet your word count for the day, many people will end up sacrificing content and potential for just words. And at that point, you're not really writing a story. You're just vomiting onto the page. I think even vomiting onto the page is useful, though. Well, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. That's my opinion as well. And there are some people in, in our camp, Josh, where um, there are people <laughs> who... Uh, see it just as an exercise you know yeah, and sure. like even though it's not good or done you still did something and you get into that mindset of i just need to let go of all of my inhibitions and write today and it can be whatever it wants to be and then at the end of the month you go back and you edit it so the publisher was like hey we'd love to publish something and the NaNoWriMo before that spring i had written kind of a weird young adult feeling fantasy rewrite of shakespeare's the tempest just for fun, because I had reread it recently and was like, wow, this play is weird and problematic in so many ways. What was he thinking? Why? And then I kind of was like, well, just for fun, for my own edification, I'd love to write it for a fiction setting 
and like fill in the gaps because there are a lot of gaps. I have a fun film side fact about The Tempest. Oh, do it. Have you ever seen or heard of Prospero's books? No. Prospero's books is a 1991 film by Peter Greenaway, who's the guy behind the famous avant-garde 80s film, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. And Prospero's books is one of the most visually intense films I've ever seen. It was made using these kind of like cutting edge layered video effects that they needed to have a supercomputer compose in editing because it's dimensional. It like keeps going. If this movie was in 3D, it would like go all the way back. Um, (laughs) It's based on the concept of this one line from The Tempest about how Prospero so loved his books that he would sacrifice his own dukedom. And this movie is about Prospero's exile and what is in his books. Ooh. And it's like a visual poem it does not have what you might call a conformist structure of any kind Mm -hmm. it's very fluid and very surreal and gorgeous 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 to watch that's wild their supercomputer they needed to edit it was only in japan but there was so much uncensored nudity in the film that they had to make the room where it was edited into a sovereign space of some kind because japanese hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Citizens were not allowed to see this content. That's wild. <laughs> All right, that's on my list. It is really, really, really hard to get a hold of, but that's... it appears you can buy a DVD of it on Amazon for the premium price of $34.99. Dang. But the fact that you can do that at all yeah. is remarkable. We're living in the future. <laughs> yeah, this movie's too weird. People don't want you to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so I had kind of explored The Tempest in like a fantasy young adult, like just for my own sake setting. And the draft was not finished, but I had hit 50,000 words, so I kind of was like threw the pen down and was like I'm done and like walked away for a few months and so I was like maybe this could be something so I wrote a pitch to them basically explaining that it would be like a fantasy steampunk retelling of the Tempest and that the draft was almost done but it needed to be rewritten anyway and they're like okay cool uh we're sending you a contract next week sign it send it back and we'll we'll get started and I was like Again, that's not how publishing works, guys. (laughs) Who are you and what are you doing? So we did. We spent the next year and a half rewriting and rewriting. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is how publishing works. Well, let me ask you. You said that you're, you know, the the anthology you were in, it was a printed book. Mm -hmm. And this publisher is clearly an independent publisher of a kind. But like, what kind of distribution are we talking about? Yeah, great question. So the publisher is called Skyler Publishing. And they are, it's x-c-h-y-l-e-r um (laughs) okay um took me a moment and they state themselves to be an imprint of hamilton springs press i believe hamilton springs primarily produces clean romance which (laughs) 
That's a choice. Yeah. And some people, that's what they want. No sex, just the romance part or Mm. no cursing or whatever. None of the dirty stuff, just like a fluffy, accessible, whatever. I could be very wrong. And if so, I apologize. But Skylar is their imprint that does sci-fi, speculative fiction and fantasy. Do they have any of the rules, uh, no cursing or anything like that? Do they, they yeah. give you some guidelines? Yeah. So the the extent of the cursing for me was, I think I say damn and hell a couple times. And they didn't go white when they read that? No, they were like, it's okay. It makes sense in the context. But there was another book by another author with the, the publisher that had at least one F-bomb in it, and it had to be removed. I was not super clear on what the demographic for this publisher was at the time. But even if I had known, I don't know that I would have said no. Sure. I mean, well, when someone hands you like, uh, this is kind of weird, but ultimately there's there's some dollar signs in it kind of contract. Yeah. Especially for your first time doing that. Mm -hmm. And you're also not a bad idea. You're not Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I didn't think it was gonna be a problem. They are what I would consider an indie micro press. They're an imprint that's not attached to a big publishing house. It's a small publishing house they're attached to, if at all. And micropress, meaning they publish their books through a print-on-demand service. Mm-hmm. What ended up happening with, with my book and with other books through this publisher, I could go into any bookstore anywhere and say, can I have you order me a copy of this book? And they would look it up in the system. Yep, there it is. There's the ISBN number. Great. I will order that book for you. It will be here in a week. It is not a publisher that you could walk into a Barnes and Noble and just pluck it off the shelf. And that's fine. The cool thing about indie publishing now is that there are so many indie publishing names and houses and like small imprints that do weird specific stuff. And because print on demand is a service that exists now, there are many more opportunities for people to get published or to publish their own work. It seems like the lack of opportunities with independent publishers is kind of a new thing Mm -hmm. compared to like all the way through the 1950s there were tons of like little independent magazines and uh, even playboy magazine yeah like yeah absolutely there was so many avenues for people to get their work published that people actually read you know i mean like weird tales how many authors started with theirs like robert e howard hp lovecraft i mean cutting teeth in the magazine circuit it forged some of the greatest authors of all time people who were just who were just especially genre authors addicted to telling stories Mm -hmm. yeah and that's largely gone away this seems like it's becoming the new thing. It's like the Kindle and the e-publishing is, is, yes. is closest. But the hard part is is that the editor is the most important facet of writing yeah. good stories. And that person is now non-existent virtually in the independent publishing space because that's another party. And if you can do it yourself, then why would you pull in someone who's telling you you're doing a bad job? But you need that person. You true. fundamentally need that person. I say that as someone who edits in a lot of shit yeah <laughs> like but it's so it's so important i want somebody to edit me i need that relationship you need someone to prune your tree if they hadn't had an editing team and they had a whole team we had a line editor we had a content editor we had a like a marketing person we you mm. know like we had a whole team at the time it was so immensely helpful i could not have solved those problems by myself especially as a young new author trying to figure out what i'm doing If you go to any of the current mammoths of publishing and and writing, Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, take your pick, they all say that their editors are invaluable to them. They need an editor. Oh, yeah. Because they know you. They know your style or they they get to know you through the process. And then you're able to have this symbiosis with them and say, I tried this. I don't know. What do you think? And they'll be honest with you. Or you can do something you think is great and they come at you and they're like, oh, hey, did you notice that this is a little problematic? Can it's we like talk what? about that? And you're like, oh, oops. And But you can solve those problems together. It's like the most useful thing an editor can say is, look, I know you really like this part, but why would anybody give a crap about it? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, because it 
you know, plays into this thing. Yeah, well, that thing's not in here. <laughs> so either add it or remove exactly. this. Yeah. yeah. First of all, I loved my editor. My editor, Jessica, was amazing. She's like my age. Shout out to Jessica. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Jess. <laughs> but she worked with me because she was like, I read a lot of the same stuff you read. I understand what your influences are. She knew how to look at stuff and go, I see where you're going with this. You haven't done this before at this point in the book. You need to go back and put it in or it won't make sense. Either add it or get rid of it. And so I gave myself the challenge to say yes to as much as I could with this editing process so that I would learn the most that I could. And even if I didn't agree with something, I would try it. It was exhausting. By the end of that year and a half, I was like, I don't know how anyone does this with a book longer than this one. And it's not that long. It's like 350 pages. But we eventually finished it up. The book came out and it is called On the Isle of Sound and Wonder. It is a steampunk fantasy retelling of The Tempest. I was super proud of it. I'm still fairly proud of it. But now that I've gone back and read it at least once, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's, I don't think it's garbage. I don't think it's a dumpster fire. And I recommend it to people all the time when people are like, I'm looking for a new book to read. I'm like, I wrote a book. Here's the Amazon link. First of all, it's not going to hurt to recommend to anybody. Sure. You, um, you believed in it enough to write it. So yeah, that's a start. Yeah. A team of people also believed in it to publish it. Absolutely. Yeah. I like it a lot. And I think it's, especially for people who don't normally read sci-fi or fantasy, as soon as they're like, wait, you wrote a book? They, they will go out and buy it, which is really, really cool and encouraging because they're like, I know someone who wrote a book. This is crazy. They read it and then they're like, oh, I'm going to gift it to my niece for Christmas. She'll love it. You know, and then it sort of spreads, which I find is the case with small publishing and indie publishing and like self-publishing is like word of mouth is how you get anything done. Yeah. And if you're looking for that big breakthrough that's so celebrated, like with books like The Martian or Aragon or something like that, it's only going to be due to a freak circumstance because you've been putting yourself out there. Yeah. And also because you really have to have written a really good book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the most important yeah, piece yeah. of the puzzle. I would debate that. <laughs> you might not You might not have to have written a good book. It might just have fallen into the right hands. And maybe, it could be a maybe. terribly, it could be a terrible book. It could be Fifty Shades of Grey and it could just change the face of the world. Is Fifty Shades of Grey a terrible book? Having read the read parts it. of it that I've, I've read. I've read parts of it. It is very not good. Yeah. Okay. Because I've only heard Gilbert Gottfried read parts of it's, it, it's, and I enjoyed those. It's not good writing. It's not good advice. The characters aren't good. <laughs> it's, it's a, it, it, that's where I found it on the None of it's shelf. accurate. Yet it turned into a sensation, an international sensation. So yeah, you might hope that someday that could be you. Yeah. But see, I know that if I tried to put myself out there, I thought, well, that's crap. I'm going to write an erotic masterpiece. Yeah. And I could, goddammit. It wouldn't matter because because people don't care. <laughs> like there's also, quality is not necessarily rewarded. There's a podcast that bridges these two uh, subjects. Oh yeah, called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Oh, I've heard of this. It's very entertaining. I've I know it's, it's not on our good. network, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> we can't officially condone them, but <laughs> it is. It is a lady and her group of friends reading just chapter by chapter the porno that her dad wrote, pornographic book, and there are. Uh, like he wrote uh, sequels and everything. That's and so it's interesting. Very, it's very entertaining. It's like, yes. And then uh, she bent over and then wasn't wearing shoes. And they go, pause. And they like, <laughs> delve really deep into like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what does that what, mean? None of this makes sense. It's very I'll fun. i have to check it out. <laughs> so where are things now? You've published a book. Yeah. How did it do? I was super excited. I have a very loving community of friends and people who wanted to support me when it came out. It was very celebrated. People threw me like a little party online and what? like, yeah, it was cute. We debuted a week before it was fully published at TeslaCon in Madison, Wisconsin, which was very exciting because a ton of people came and bought it. Let me tell you guys, that first royalty check 
was nice. And then nothing happened. It continued to sell in so much as I would personally tell someone, hey, I wrote a book and they'd go buy two copies. That first royalty check was amazing and I cried and it was like a beautiful moment in my life. And then reality hit pretty hard. Indie micro publishing cannot afford to hold your hand all the way through and they cannot afford to continue marketing for you. You have to market. You have to be on social media. You have to be talking to people and going to events and signings and whatever. And I did. I've, I've been to several uh, events and I've been asked to show up at several steampunk events to promote the book, to do a reading, to do whatever. It was fun and it was exciting. And that first year was okay. And then that was it. So that was 2014. And I mean, I haven't had a royalty check in I don't know how long. But you know what? That's okay. I wrote this book. It was really hard to do. It was shockingly hard to do. And they worked with me and I learned a lot. I'm out in the world creating new stuff. And if I hadn't had done that, so much of my life right now would not be happening the way it's happening. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I immediately was like, what will my next book be? And people were like, are you going to write a sequel? And I was like, I will not write a sequel. This is a standalone book. I will not write another retake of a Shakespeare play that I think deserves more delving because it would be the same thing I just did. I will do something new. And so I immediately sat down and started working out what my next book was going to be. And I started writing. Then I was like, no, it doesn't work. I'm going to start over. So I'd start over. And this happened on and off for about six months before I was like, I can't do anything with it. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I'm scared or if I have imposter syndrome now that I've been published. And so I like walked away from it and tried to do something else and just was like paralyzed with indecision. And I thought, maybe I am an imposter. Maybe I spent all this time and all of this work and that's all I'm going to get to do. For the last, you know, two years, two-ish years, I was very convinced that that was true because I just genuinely, I couldn't write anything. What ended up happening instead is Drew pushed me and it was like, let's create a world from scratch. Let's something totally new. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to. We were standing in line for the Haunted Mansion at the Magic <laughs> Kingdom. And Drew goes, if you were going to create a world from scratch, what would be in it? And I was like, I don't want to play this game. I'm an imposter. I'm not a writer. I went full goth kid. and was just like, I can't, I can't do this. He was like, let's just talk about it. This line is really long. It'll pass the time. And I was like, okay, fine. And we started talking about it. By the time we got onto the ride, we weren't even watching the ride. We were in the doom buggy going backwards down the hill into the graveyard scene going, well, yeah, but like, what about the infrastructure? Like, are there canals? Are there trolleys? Are there trains? Like, how do they, how do they get where they're trying to go? Like, it blew my mind because I was, first of all, I was so scared of world building at that point. And he got me to loosen up and just make stuff up with him. Mm-hmm. And then we ran back to the hotel and wrote it all down. And we kept talking about it for the rest of that month. And at the end of that month, Warda was born. Warda is the name of the world that we created. We decided that it is an Edwardian aesthetic fantasy world where thousands of years ago, a portal opened from another world and the Fae came through the portal and conquered this land. And they sealed the portal up behind them and reshaped the land with magic. And humans, they're now at the bottom of the hierarchy. Below pixies. Yes. Ouch. Technically. That's hard, technically, that's they're hard. below pixies. But pixies <laughs> pixies in this world aren't considered people either. Pixies are considered, it's like a cell phone. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like a house elf in Harry Potter is yeah. just like yeah, a Roomba. It's, it's more on that length. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a Roomba. <laughs> and so I wanted something with a very specific class hierarchy with conflict in it. And I wanted this Edwardian aesthetic because I find it incredibly beautiful. And I wondered what it would be like for 
an entire society to exist in that twilight hour for thousands of years. And so Drew and I spent two months, two and a half months building Warda. And then we were like, okay, now what? Now we built the world. What do we do with it? And I was like, well, I want, I want to write a novel. Then I sat down and was like, well, who do I write about? There's no one. We built the thing on the Sims, but there's no Sims living it. What do mm-hmm. we do? And so we got some friends together and we set up a, a role-playing game. And we let them build characters and we like set them into the world and went, go. They went crazy and it was awesome. And we loved the way it fit as a role-playing game. A year later, James D'Amato of the One Shot Podcast Network was like, hey, do you and Drew want to do a weekly live stream on our Twitch channel? And I was like, yeah, cool. About what? He was like, well, whatever you want. You could play a game or you could play a different game every week if you want. You know, we just thought it'd be cool to have you guys on there. So we talked about it and Drew was like, well, what if we did Warda? And I was like, well, we can't just drop a Twitch audience <laughs> into a game we've been doing for a year. That's that's not fair to them. And he was like, well, we could start a new game. And we both kind of like lit up at the idea of doing a new game with new people. We threw it at James and he was like, yeah, that sounds great. We cast a new set of people and we started a weekly live stream and people just sort of like trickled in and were like, this is awesome. Do you guys have a website? So I built a website basically explaining the rules of the world and like who was who and what was what and how it all kind of fit together. And every week I would have to keep adding pages to the website because people were like, well, what about the education system? Marriage, the legality of patents. What about this? What about this? Because we had all that information. We just didn't think anyone would care. Let me tell you guys, it is amazing what people will care about if you're on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, are you guys going to do a podcast? And we were like, yeah, I guess we could do a podcast. That would that'd be cool. And so we, I started taking the audio down from our Twitch streams, chopping it up into consumable bits and like producing it. It was suddenly this train that was flying along at 80 miles an hour. And we were like, all right, yep, great. I guess we're going to keep going and do this thing. If you had told me three years prior that that's what I was going to be doing, I would have been like, I don't know what any of those words mean. And then if you go further back, that's exactly what I would have said if you had told high school me that I was going to get published from making friends with an author on Twitter. You don't know what your creative journey is going to be like. If you want to tell stories and you want to write and you want to to create stuff for people to consume, do something about it. See what happens. Because now what we're doing is we, we're working on original mechanics for an original game so that people can buy it and access it and play their own stories in order. And it's already been an eye-opening process for anyone who's ever built an RPG before. I salute you. It is very difficult. I mean, Josh, as you know firsthand from your short-lived nerdy show series, RPG from Scratch. Yes. (laughs) Go on. Well, what we did is we took a game we liked and we're like, we're going to adapt this Mm -hmm. and then keep adapting it and keep adapting it until it's fundamentally completely different. It's a wild ride though, right? Oh, it's totally wild. And it's ended there. I mean, so far I've still got everything. So maybe one day until until then. People got pretty excited about it. I was very happy about the interaction we got from it. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Warda right now, it, it is a podcast. So anyone can dive in and listen to it. It is presently ongoing. Yeah. We started the podcast like two months after we started the live stream. We are still at a point where we have content that we already did that I'm producing now as the podcast. Does that make sense? Yeah. We're like catching up still. Mm -hmm. What currently is being published is called Glimpses. And it was five one-shot adventures that have nothing to do with anything that came before or after so that you can listen to those by themselves and like get to know little pieces of the world. We describe the show in an elevator pitch as Game of Thrones meets Downton Abbey with a little bit of Agatha Christie mixed in. But to wrap that up, what I'm saying is I had no idea I'd be doing any of that. And as a writer, I thought if I'm not writing books, I'm failing. But the thing about living in the future 
Everything is constantly evolving and there is no right way to do this. Hone your skills, read a lot and read a lot of people, especially in the genres you like and accept that your vision of what your trajectory is, is not necessarily how it will go. And that's probably good for you. Do you still plan to write a book in the world of Warda? Absolutely. I still haven't decided. I, I want to do novels because I think the world is big enough. What I did for NaNoWriMo this past year, November 2017, is I did what I called Warda ink blots. Every day, I gave myself a new prompt set in Warda. And each day, instead of just challenging myself to hit the word count every day, which is the traditional goal for NaNoWriMo, mm -hmm. I said, I will do one prompt a day, but I can write as much as I want for each word prompt. So the goal was to come out of it with a ton of short stories. And I pretty much accomplished that. And so what I did is I came out with a bunch of scenes and a couple of short stories. And so I'm releasing them periodically on the Patreon and periodically on the website for Warda. So you can go to the welcome to warda.com and you can click on the library. You can read some of the short stories that I've written. Drew has written several short stories himself. And then some of our Patreon patrons are writing what they're calling fae fiction, um, <laughs> which is pretty great. We've given them, since it's a very interactive world and we ask patrons to give us suggestions for things all the time. They get to vote on things that happen in the games. They get to name things. At a certain backer level, they get to create a canon character. That's heavy. Which is pretty cool, right? At the $10 level, I will write them a thousand words about their character. For 10 bucks? Yeah. And then if they want it to be canon, we have to read it. We have to approve it. We have to edit it with them and like fact check the stuff that they've made up to make sure that it still floats. Mm-hmm. And then once we've done that, we basically give it the stamp and say, this is canon. Interactivity is at the heart of what's happening now. Yeah. Um, and, and modern mediums and modern storytelling. And it's it's a huge component of it. It's not exclusively it, but it's a huge component of it. So mm -hmm. it can't be underestimated how powerful that is. That's why things like Harry Potter work internationally, because J.K. Rowling wrote this world that was fairly accessible but she gave it so many customization options on the inside that anybody can say, well, I'm a Hufflepuff. My Patronus is a white horse. My wand is Ivy, 13 and a half inches. If you include your audience, whether it's interactive theater or podcasting, and then you elevate them to a higher status so that they are a part of what you're doing. They're not just watching you. They're not just supporting you. They're involved. Everything can change from that point. And we really took that to heart with Warda. We wanted it to be something that people, anybody can step through and go, wow, look at all this stuff you did. Where do I get to be? So the Patreon URL is? The Patreon URL is patreon.com slash whimsy artifice. And Warda is at welcometowarda.com. Welcometowarda.com and on Twitter at welcometowarda. And where else should people go for the Ali Grauer experience? Uh, my blog is dreamstobecome.com, and I'm on Twitter at dreamstobecome. Fan support is the only thing keeping Nerdy Show afloat and has been all these years. So if you like this show, if you like the content we put out, please do consider giving to the Nerdy Show Network at patreon.com slash nerdyshow. We have all kinds of special perks and additional content there, including bonus clips, outtakes, and uh, different ways you can interact with us there on Patreon. You can also give us a one-time donation at nerdyshow.com slash support, or you could buy any of Ali's books through our Amazon links at nerdyshow.com slash Amazon. Anything you buy through that portal will uh, give back to us. It's a great idea. I will I will caution that at this moment that this episode is coming out, our website is a little fucked. The, 
the the layout is fine everything is fine but your browser may throw up some shade and be like yo this website's unsafe well that's because our hosting service woot hosting is a evil scummy corporation and has ensured that we don't have access to our cpanel and our ssl certificate has expired so we can't change or fix any of that and they've been really awful about it and it's been months so just oh, no. just go ahead and add an exception in there we we promise our website is totally safe you can browse it instead of HTTPS. You can do HTTP and you'll be able to get right in there. Just a little food for thought. Things are not great right now. There's nothing we can do. We're trying some very radical solutions at this point because it's been crazy. We're probably nearing a throw money at the problem sort of situation. So if you do want to yeah. help us out, it would be greatly appreciated. And never, ever, ever use Woot Hosting and don't let your friends use it either. It's awful. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> Fortunately, if you want to check out our shows, you can do that through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We specialize in tabletop role-playing audio dramas, where we bring our games to life with cinematic sound effects and score. There's the medieval fantasy comedy Dungeons & Doritos, our Ghostbusters series Ghostbusters Resurrection, which uses the classic 1980s D6 system, and the Lovecraftian black comedy The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. And that's just for starters. If you're into world-building, screenwriting, and the animation industry, you might want to check out Lightning Dogs, the official podcast. It's an animated series we're developing that distills all of our favorite 80s and 90s pop culture into one glorious Ninja Turtles meets Mad Max hybrid. The podcast is a documentary of our entire journey from the moment we accidentally came up with the idea to all the creative development and research that it takes to bring a dumb idea to life. And Josh, I hear that bad storytellers could maybe possibly come back. I've just finished setting up a new studio. Ooh. Going to do a couple things before season two starts. It's kind of build it up, but it's going to be a little bit. I'll let you guys know. It'll be a big deal when it comes out. Allie, thank you so much for joining us and bequeathing all the sage-like knowledge of uh, getting into independent sci-fi fantasy publishing and, and sort of like where we are now is really, I think, what it ended up being, a conversation about where things are now and how to subvert expectations for the formal ways to get your material seen and your stories told. So, Dr. Gamer Scientist, hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Gamer Scientist, you can tweet me personally at Dreams Become if you have more questions that were not answered. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, and thank you for listening to this episode of Nerdy Show. <laughs>